Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. So a guy's at home minding his own business, watching, uh, watching television, and all of a sudden there's a, there's a knock at the door. <clears throat> so he gets up and he opens the door and he looks out and there's no one there. He's looking around and it, there's a snail on, a, on the front porch and so he, he reaches down and takes the snail and he throws it out into the yard. About three months later, he's sitting at home watching television, minding his own business, and there's a knock at the door. He gets up, walks to the door, opens it up, and there's no one there. And he looks down and there's that snail. And the snail says, what was that all about? What was that all about? Have you ever felt like that snail? Have you ever felt like you were just kind of minding your own business, doing what you think you should have been doing, and all of a sudden, whoop, you find yourself someplace else? And it takes you a while to kind of, you know, recombobulate yourself to figure out what exactly happened. You try to put the pieces together and you're frustrated because you don't see the whole picture. And you're left asking. Maybe you're asking yourself. Maybe you're asking God. What was that all about? I kind of think that's how Jonah felt as he's trying to put together everything that happened in his life, not understanding the big picture, not comprehending what God was doing. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them to the third chapter of Jonah. An amazing story. You know, Jonah's minding his own business, and the word of the Lord comes to him and says, Go to Nineveh. He says, right, go to Nineveh, proclaim the message that I will give to you. He says, right, and he goes the other way. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is filled with people he doesn't like, people that are mean, people that might hurt him. And so he decides that he's going to go in a different route. He gets on the ship. We know the story. We've been in the book of Jonah for the last couple of weeks, and he's out on the ship, and there's a, there's a huge storm that happens. And the captain of the ship, I find it interesting that the captain of the ship, he calls on everybody on the crew. He says, I want everybody to pray to their own gods. Jonah is down in the hole sleeping. And they finally roused him and they said, get up, get up, get up. Pray, pray to your God. Jonah goes, I don't I know what's going on. And the guy goes, what do you mean you know what's going on? Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the God of creation, and and they're freaked out by that. I mean, he says, and all this has happened because I'm being disobedient. He asked me to do something. I didn't want to do it, and I find myself on your ship. Just 
throw me overboard and everything will be fine. So we can't do that. We can't throw you overboard. Do you have any idea if we threw you overboard, a passenger on the ship, do you know what that would do to our Yelp reviews? So they're scrambling. You know, they're trying to figure it out. He says, I'm telling you, just throw me overboard and it'll all be solved. And they do. They throw him overboard and then they sacrifice to the Lord. It begins, everybody's going to their own gods. And now they realize that there is but one God. And in that moment, when Jonah goes overboard, he's kind of thinking, well, what was that all about? Here I am. And his life flashes before his eyes and the fish comes along. Whale, whatever. I'll let you decide. And, uh, and, and he prays, and God listens. He prays, and God listens. And that's where we pick up the, the narrative. And, and he, he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord hears him. That's what we looked at all last week. And then at the end of that prayer, we read the last verse of the second chapter, the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And that's where we pick up the narrative in this third chapter. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. Jonah obeyed the, the word of the Lord. He went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. Uh, a visit required three days and on the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh. He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust, and then issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the Lord and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. What an amazing story. And there's Jonah in the midst of it, still trying to put all the pieces together, trying to understand what God is doing, trying to, trying to get a hold of the, of, the, of the big picture and not really liking what he's seen. But you'll get into that more next week. Throughout the, the book of Jonah, what we encounter is a message of God's sovereignty. God is sovereign over everything. 
And Jonah, Jonah is, he recognizes that. He recognizes that God is sovereign. He recognizes that there is one true God. As I suggested last week, I don't think that Jonah was running from God. You can't run from God. He was running from obedience. He was running from God's will. I'm going to tell you a secret. What we're seeing here is a battle between the sovereign God and the sovereignty of self. And I'm going to tell you what, in that battle, the sovereignty of God wins out every time. Every time. So Jonah cries out. He, he just cries out. Now, you got to give him credit for this. Jonah is running from obedience. He's running from the will of God. His life is not what it should be. And at that moment, when his life is not what it should be, he calls out to God, and God listens. I can't tell you how many people have said, well, you know, I can't really go to church right now. I, I, my, my, I, I, got, I got work to do in my life first. I got some stuff that I got to clean up before. God's not going to want to listen to me. You know, that's just bad theology, people. Jonah was disobedient. He cries out, God listens. When we cry out, God listens. And God gives Jonah a second chance. There's reconciliation there. And that reconciliation comes in the form of Jonah being spit out onto dry land. Kind of graphic. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit more in, a, in just a second. But I don't want to skip over this idea that that it was while Jonah was in a state of disobedience, while he was in sin, he calls out to the Lord, and the Lord hears him, and there's reconciliation. And Jonah's given a second chance. The word of the Lord came to, came to Jonah a second time. That's what we hear in that third verse. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give to you. This is really cool. I remember uh, uh, going to a college briefing at Forest Home. Uh, Oz Guinness was the speaker. This was years and years ago. And, uh, and, he's, and he's, talking about, uh, he's talking about the world, and he's talking about the future and the direction that we're going. And he starts laying out all these scenarios that, uh, uh, that have been endorsed by futurists. And these are sociologists that study trends and try to predict where society is moving and he says, in every one of these uh, uh, futurists, secular and, uh, and religious alike, uh, as they plot out the possibilities for the future, uh, they always include a wild card. And the wild card is when we look at the future and what's happening, we can never dismiss the possibility of genuine revival. Uh, whether they're believers or not, they always hold that up. And the reason why they throw that wild card in there is because that the God of the Bible, th that God is a God of second chances. You're never counted out. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. That God of the Bible allows for U-turns. That God of the Bible allows for second chances. That God of the Bible is one who is toward those whose heart is toward him. 
And we see that played out in the book of Jonah. In his disobedience, he calls out, and God hears him and gives him a second chance. Don't ever think, don't ever think that God is not going to hear your prayers. But also, don't ever think that God is not going to continue to ask you to be obedient to his will in your life. Now, there's a, we could talk about the will of God all day long because there is a general will, and there, for some people, there are specific wills. And then we get into, uh, and I, I don't have the time to get into predestination this morning, but I want to say that Jonah was predestined to go to Nineveh. I want to I say that Paul was predestined to go to the Gentiles. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's a Paul or a, or a Jonah here in the midst, but let me, let me just, if, if the Lord's telling you to do something, you know what? Just do it. Can you imagine how much easier Jonah's life would have been if he had been faithful the first time? But no, he finds himself picked up and tossed out into the ocean, and he's trying to catch his bear, and he's going, what's that all about? And he knows. He knows it's his own disobedience. He knows he's running from the will of God. He knows he's pitting the sovereignty of God against the sovereignty of self. And he goes, he obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. An important city. Probably took Jonah... Three days to walk through all the neighborhoods. Now, think about this for a minute. Where has Jonah been for the past three days? Where's he been? He's been inside something that's alive. You want to call it a whale? You want to call it a fish? What happens when, when, when an animal or a fish swallows something? You get enzymes in your stomach that start working on whatever it is that you ingest so that you can absorb the nutrients of whatever that is. So Jonah's in this whale for three days, and those enzymes are starting to work. He comes out three days later on, on dry land. He must have been a sight. I mean, almost albino-like. You know, maybe his hair is falling out, you know, his splotchy skin, and here he is. He's walking through, through Nineveh. 40 days, 40 days, and all this is going to be gone. I, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to preach that message. You know, probably not a candidate for sermon of the year. Maybe Jonah's afraid that he goes in there, they hear him, they see him, and it's like, get him out of here, kill him. They, remember, they weren't nice people. Maybe he's fearful. They know he's a Hebrew and he starts an international incident and they, they attack his homeland. Or worse yet, what happens if they actually believe him and they repent? Can you imagine Jonah going home? Hey, Joe, where you been? Oh, I was just in Nineveh. You were what? Yeah, I was in Nineveh. I went there and I told them that, uh, that the, the, the Lord was going to destroy them in 40 days. And did he? No, they repented. What were you thinking? We don't want those people around. 
And, and that's what happens. He proclaims the message, 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. And the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. The news reaches the king, rises from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. He issues that proclamation. Do not let man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let every man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. You know what that tells me? It tells me that they were self-aware. It tells me that the people of Nineveh knew. And you know what? People know. I mean, there's a few people out there that can get away with lying to themselves. But for the most part, people know. And they know when they hear the truth. And the people of Nineveh repented. You know, we are called as believers to live our faith out loud. We are called as believers to speak truth and to speak truth with, with gentleness and respect. And I dare say that there are those in our culture that do not want to hear our truth because they know they are self-aware. We read in Scripture that evil likes darkness. You know, when Jesus, the light comes into the world, people turn from it. Why? Because the light exposes their dark deeds. We're convinced that people don't want to hear it. And maybe we're convinced because we don't want people to hear it because, well, well, we want to be liked. We don't want people to turn on us. And, you know, there's some people out there that we're not even so sure that we want to hear the gospel lest they repent and, and, and show up in my pew on Sunday morning. So, do you sit there with somebody in your pew that you might not like? Because you have determined that they're not interested in the gospel? Or that maybe you know something about their life that you know would preclude them from even wanting to hear about the gospel? And what if, you, what if they did show up and sat in your pew? What would you think? Well, you can do that, or you can find yourself sitting in your own pew. You can take that any way you want. It'll sink in in a minute. There is a self-awareness in the people of Nineveh that brings them to the point of repentance. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. That is remarkable. And as you go into the fourth chapter next week, you're going to see that it did not make Jonah happy. Jonah doesn't understand. He doesn't understand the big picture. What was that all about? These are people that he had decided 
We're unworthy of God's compassion, God's mercy, God's grace. He would rather keep that to himself. We don't want to have that conversation. It brings up an interesting point. Along with the sovereignty of God is this knowledge that God's heart is always toward those whose heart is toward him. I told you about the conference that I went to, to a couple of weeks ago, a theology conference, and uh, a question was asked, is there, is there one or two, is, God, is, is there one covenant with God or are there two covenant, covenants with God? Is there an Old Testament covenant and a New Testament covenant? Or has the New Testament covenant superseded the Old Testament covenant? Two scholars up on stage, one guy holds up his hand, one covenant. The other guy holds up his hand, two covenants. Interesting. I, I, I tend to lean with the latter. That there are two covenants. What's going on here? The, the, the people of Nineveh, they were pagans. They were Gentiles. They were not Jews. Why would they even think to respond to the gospel or to a message of the Lord of the Hebrews? And yet they do. And when they do, God relents. Because God's heart is always toward those whose heart is toward him. When you couple that with the idea that we worship a God of second chances, you can't count anyone out. Now, let me make this statement. I'll step back a little bit on that and say that uh, I don't think God is done with the Jews yet. Because God's heart is always, always, always toward those whose heart is toward him. Now, I think when it's all said and done, the reconciliation is all going to be done through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer. I, I don't want anybody to come away thinking that I'm thinking that there's another way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. Uh, no one comes to the Father except through me. And I believe that with all my heart. But how God brings someone through that, that's up to him. But what I know, what I have seen in Scripture, is that God's heart is always toward those whose heart is toward him. Which begs the question, does God change his mind? Well, as I'm looking at uh, the end of this third chapter right here, I have to say, yeah, God does. God changes his mind. The, the, the message that Jonah preached, I've, I've gone over the text many, many times. Nowhere in his message does he say, if you guys repent, God might have mercy on you. All, all Jonah does, he says, 40 days and you guys are toast. The king declares the decree to, 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 to fast uh, and, and, and to pray. He says, who knows? Maybe, maybe the Lord will relent of this evil. And they do and he does. Does God change his mind? Yes. Does, does God change his character? No. God's character is immutable. God's character is the same today as it was yesterday and it will be tomorrow. And in that immutable character of God, his heart is always toward those whose heart is toward him. And so we never want to count someone out. We never want to cross someone off our list. 
We never want to say, well, this person isn't interested in the gospel. From my perspective, I would have thought that the people of Nineveh would not have been interested in the gospel at all. And here's the... and and to show that we don't have the big picture and that, that Jonah didn't have the big picture... Think about this. This event takes place sometime uh, between uh, 790 790 BC and 750 BC. We don't know exactly when, but sometime in there, uh, 790 BC to 750 BC. That's when this event takes place. Oh, and guess what happens about 25 years later? In 722 BC, what happens? The Assyrians wipe out the Israelites. The northern kingdom is gone. We talk about the ten tribes that that have disappeared, the lost tribes of Israel. Those were the northern tribes. After Solomon, Israel split. The ten tribes to the north, uh, two tribes to the south, ten tribes to the north, never had a good king. I find it interesting that Nineveh, filled with, pagan, re, filled with pagans, they repent and God relents. And then he uses them against his own people who would not repent. When the word of the Lord came to them and, oh, the prophets came to them. Remember, it was not fun to be a prophet back in those days. Not at all. It's a reminder to us that there's a bigger picture, one that we can't always see. And we need to keep that in mind as we live our faith out loud, as we make sure that people know who we are and what we believe. We don't have to convince them. We just need to be faithful. And sometimes faithful and obedience is reluctant. I think Jonah was obedient, but he was reluctantly obedient, but he was obedient nonetheless. But how do you account for this massive shift that came upon the people of Nineveh. Two words. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. We don't have to do that. We only need to speak God's truth to a world that is pretty much self-aware, but who are struggling with self-sovereignty over God's sovereignty. Do you know, statistically, one out of four of your non-churched friends would go to church uh, if you just invited them? And it's an easy way to, there's an easy way to have that conversation. It's like, oh my gosh. First off, you pray for a person. Pray for a person. Uh, Lord, prepare that person's heart. I want to have a conversation. Help me to have an opening. Help me to look for an opening. And there's an easy opening, an easy opening for anybody in your life. Just ask them this question. Do you ever think about spiritual things? Non-threatening question. It's a door they can easily close. Nope, not at all. All right. Let it go and go on to the next conversation. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. You'd be surprised how many people say, well, yeah, you know what? I do have some, I do think about spiritual things more now than ever because the world's going to, going to pot and you don't know what's up and down, left and right. And uh, so you can say, well, you know what? There's this crazy pastor at this church I go to and he, he, he loves those kind of questions. I do. I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll take all questions. I don't have all answers, but I have a lot of them because there, we have good answers to a lot of the questions. 
But simply asking and extending an invitation. What we, what we need to remember is that God is sovereign. We need to remember that the Holy Spirit is at work. We need to remember that God's heart is always toward those whose heart is toward Him. We need to remember that we don't have the big picture, that God is working in ways that we will probably never comprehend this side of eternity. And as we remember all those things, we need to remember to be faithful and obedient. Bearers of truth, brokers of reconciliation. Telling people what they need to know. It's not up to us to convince them that they need to know it. That's the Holy Spirit. But to live out our faith gently and respectfully can accomplish more than we could possibly imagine. It's not write anybody off. Let's be open to the possibility that God wants to do a work through your faithful obedience to living your faith out loud for his glory and honor. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. I dreamed death came to me one night and heaven's gates flew open wide. With kindly grace, St. Peter came and ushered me inside. And there, to my amazement, were friends I'd known on earth. Some I'd labeled as unfit, and some of little worth. Indignant words flew to my lips, words I could not set free. For every face showed stunned surprise. No one expected me. Get the picture? We gather to worship and we go forth to labor in God's fields, growing his kingdom day by day through our obedience to his will, reluctant at times, knowing that he gives us second chances, knowing that his heart is always toward those whose heart is toward him, and knowing that the Holy Spirit is still at work.